Welcome to our podcast for college Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. Thank you for joining us today. Today we welcome Dr. Lawrence Feingold again. He's been with us last uh, week. And Dr. Feingold is an associate professor of theology and philosophy at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. And he's an expert in the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. He converted to Catholicism in 1989 together with his wife. And in 1999, 10 years later, he earned the doctorate degree in theology from the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. Uh, among other books, he wrote The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. Faith Comes from What is Heard and Touched by Christ, which books I recommend everyone to read. Dr. Feingold, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, last time we spoke about the existence of God and how you found God through beauty. Um, but there's a reality that many students have to face. I, I've been uh, dealing with uh, some difficulties, and I offer spiritual direction to many students, uh, several students at least. Um, and um, there have been tragedies that happened, uh, students who have friends at, in college that are depressed and suffer a lot, and they don't see a meaning in life. Um, and sometimes, you know, they may commit suicide, or some family member has died, or even today, now these days with the war, in Ukraine, many people are concerned. So the question that always uh, comes up is, how can uh, God exist if there's evil? Or how can a good God allow these evils to happen? Why do, we, why do I have to suffer if there's a God? So um, any thoughts that you have for our students and our uh, young adults, uh, everyone who's listening, uh, to try to explain or to make sense of all the evil in the world? Well, that's the million-dollar question. Right? That's the, the most fundamental objection to the existence of God, and that's precisely why atheists don't believe. Mm -hmm. so, so that's, yes. That's, <clears throat> and you were an atheist And I was before. an atheist, yes. Um, so you're the right person to answer it. <laughs> perhaps not, but uh, everyone has to deal with this question. Right. And so I mentioned in last week's episode that we became Catholic through reading um, the works of St. John Henry Newman. He, he has a magnificent passage on this, so maybe I'll start with that. So he poses the question in his autobiography, which is called Apologia Pro Vita Sua, um, kind of a justification of his life. And um, he, he poses the because, question— Because he was Anglican and he converted to Catholicism, right, right. so he made an explanation for that. Right. And he just like so many, as a teenager, he wasn't— um, um, Practicing. Yeah, he didn't have faith and came to it through an initial conversion, kind of in a— Calvinist direction, then Anglican, and then Catholic. So he had a long trajectory. Anyway, in his autobiography, he deals, he puts the question like this, how can, um, precisely because there is a God, and he is good, capital G, and as true and beautiful, um, how can it be that there's so much contrary to that in the world that he's made? Right? So much um, ugliness, um, Sin hatred, and right. hatred and evil, um, how can that be? And, um, and, and so he says there in this work, um, the, the Christian answer, um, this human experience shows us precisely because there is a God who is good, in other words, starting from that, that would not be um, understandable if there hadn't been some original rupture with, in fact, the divine plan, right? And that's how Christians understand original sin. That in God's initial plan for human beings, 
It was to live in a state of original harmony and holiness, um, in which there would have been human nature, but gifts given from above by which suffering, death, um, and all the forms of disharmony that exist in our current world wouldn't have entered. But that was a covenant, right? In other words, God made man in that state precisely um, in a covenant in which he gave of himself to them. He walked with them in the garden in an initial friendship. And um, there was a condition that Adam and Eve, right, the, our first parents, corresponded, right, by um, being in relationship with him that would be filial, right? And so the condition of the, right, to the tree. So people so often misunderstand or disbelieve in original sin because it seems um, arbitrary, right? Why not the, the condition not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But the way we should understand that is um, very often knowledge, biblically, means dominion. And so um, if we understand that way, dominion over good and evil, defining for myself what is good and evil. That was the limit, right, that the covenant excluded. Adam and Eve were to receive these benefits from God of harmony, but part of that harmony is to recognize that we're not the source of good and evil. It comes from above, right? It's made known to us in our conscience, and it comes from God. And, um, and so wanting that autonomy to determine for oneself, um, the consequence of that was breaking of that covenant of harmony and therefore experiencing disharmony in all its forms. All right, now that brings us to another question, and that we call that original sin, right? The original sin of Adam and Eve, and the consequence of it for us. Now, people have all kinds of objections to this, and one of them is, why should what someone did very long time ago affect our world today and affect me in particular? What do I have to do with Adam? And the actual answer here has to do with solidarity. So God has made us, we all experience um, um, different forms of headship that we're given gifts, not just for ourselves, but to pass on to others. Right. And if we squander those gifts, others suffer. And this is above all, we experience this in parenthood, right? And um, it's something similar to what happens in a in a country with a president. Sure. You know, for example, now uh, Russia, the Putin yes. goes to war, and, and all and, the Russians are in war, and maybe right. they don't want to be in war. Right. And nor the Ukrainians, exactly. And so. And we, in and of itself, this is a great gift, headship. It it's, gives moral responsibility. So God is a risk taker God. In other words, he doesn't um, seek the easy path. He wants precisely to give to us a participation of his providence. Right? And, and we call that um, paternity, maternity, headship, moral responsibility. And that was given in a unique way to our first parents in the original covenant, right? And so that's why their breaking that covenant affects us. But um, God would not have permitted that to happen if there weren't good to come from it. And in fact, much more good to come from it. And um, this is... Um, expressed in the church's liturgy in a beautiful way in the Easter Vigil, right? So I came into the church as a new convert on the Easter Vigil in the RCA program. Wonderful. And in, in that liturgy of the Easter Vigil, the deacon sings this chant um, in which he says, oh, happy fault, speaking about the original sin. Oh, um, Felix culpa is the Latin. Oh, happy fault or, or sin that won us so great a redeemer. 
right? And so the reason, so God permitted that original sin because we're better off in this world of disharmony than we would have been if disharmony had never entered the world at all in Eden. That might seem, reading the newspapers, that might seem like a shocking claim. Right. But that's the Christian faith, that we're better off because in this real world in which there is death, suffering, and human freedom, meaning a freedom um, a freedom for good, but a freedom that can be abused, right. which is precisely moral Through evil, sin. right? Um, this is a better world. And why is that? Because it makes possible goods that couldn't have been in Eden. And the principle, so we're going to go through different of those goods that exist in this real world in which there's disharmony that wouldn't have been in Eden. And the first and foremost is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Now, yes, God could have become incarnate even in Eden, but he wouldn't have become incarnate in the same way. He wouldn't have become incarnate to die for the sins of the world. And God becoming man, taking up our condition, um, in obedience unto death, death on the cross, that shows God's love in a way far greater than even the harmony of Eden. Wow. Right. Yep. That's, that's really amazing. Now, you might say, well, that, does that um, completely comfort us? Perhaps not, but, but that's the principal thing, right? So that's right. the and, first and, and, and most— God, God knows more than we do. That's right. That's right. So that's the, the pinnacle of this. But there's also a foundation, and that foundation is the good of human freedom and human responsibility. So that's kind of going back to what we just said about solidarity. Um, God is the risk-taker God, meaning he wants, he doesn't retreat from the good that he wants to accomplish because of the possibility of abuse. He's faithful even when we're unfaithful. Right. And the first thing that he's faithful to is, in fact, human freedom and therefore moral responsibility. Right. So he's made us with moral responsibility and a responsibility to precisely to do good, to give of oneself for others, to follow the golden rule, all of which he's written on the heart. So he's made us with a freedom for good, and he's given us first moral principles that show us the way, at least this, do unto my neighbor as I want done unto me, right? right. And to love God above, above all things. All right, maybe the atheist can't say it like that, but it, the atheist is at least gonna know, I should love goodness and justice above all, and that's, in reality, a name for God. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's given us this freedom, but that implies also the fact that I can misuse that responsibility. He doesn't ever want that, but he wants us to freely love him and one another. All right, so that's a second, that's the foundation. Right. Christ is the pinnacle. Right, to summarize then the, the last, the last mm -hmm. concept you said, God gives us freedom to love him but in giving us freedom, because there, there couldn't be love without freedom. Mm -hmm. But in giving us freedom, he runs the risk that we can choose not to love him. That's right. And he prefers that in order that some people may love him than removing freedom altogether. Exactly. And now there's another dimension to this. And it's something that we've all had experience to. And that is we don't grow without difficulty. God wants... Um, so God wants the things that he creates, and well, so he, let me say it a different way. God wants human beings to learn to love. And human nature is such that we don't 
come into being fully grown, right? We come right. into being as embryos, right? As babies and infants. Um, and, um, and so human life is a life of growth. And God makes us in this way so that we grow in love similarly. And it's part of every, I think, just about everyone's human experience that we don't mature in love without the, having to sacrifice, Right? And right. so the experience of having to sacrifice is crucial for maturity, simply human maturity, and for maturity in loving another person. Right? And this is the principal law of marriage. Right? In marriage, you pretty quickly – so you, people maybe enter into marriage with dreams right, of um, happiness, but um, what you find is that it's a way of the cross. It's like all vocations. Right. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because I wouldn't learn to love w- – in a more profound way without um, the obstacles, right? And this, again, we said this about Christ first and foremost, right? He shows us the divine love in a way that couldn't have been shown any other way precisely because it's a love that was willing to sacrifice to the end. And that's the most beautiful thing in human life, that people, so just think in, in family life, mothers who sacrifice for their children, you know, sleep at night, all kinds of things that mothers do, that maternal love, and likewise paternal love, what fathers do for their family and sacrifices. That's what makes life most beautiful. None of that could have existed in Eden. Right. In other words, there's um, our living east of Eden, outside of Eden, makes possible goods, and this particular good sacrificial love by which love grows and flourishes in a way that wouldn't have been the case if there hadn't been difficulties to overcome. And secondly, if there weren't needs of others, right? So in Eden, nobody would have gotten sick, and therefore there wouldn't have been that good of taking care of others. There wouldn't have been, think of all the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitude of those who have mercy. Well, if nobody needs mercy, how is mercy going to flourish? How are we going to practice it? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? If there aren't uh, disharmonies and, right, right that one has contention, to... Contention, opposition, yeah, exactly. It, then there would be no beatitude of the peacemaker. If there wasn't even... So even, we can go through them one by one. The blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If there weren't temptations, um, we wouldn't appreciate the purity, right? In each thing, we see that the God... I mean, he wouldn't, didn't have, um, he, he allows us to be tempted, not so that we fall, right? But precisely so that through the difficulty, we come to appreciate the good that costs. Right. And right. have an o- awareness of it that we couldn't have had before. And we see this in so many different ways in human life. Just even take the, begin- the story of Genesis chapter 2. God makes Adam first. Weird. Why does he do that? It seems so that Adam can experience solitude. Right. right. It's not good for man to be alone. So what does God do? He makes the animals. And so there's a cow now for Adam to name. And he still doesn't find, right? So the very fact that the animals are made makes him more aware, aware of his solitude. But that's good for him so that when Eve is made, he comes to appreciate it. Right? And so we find this in so many different ways in human life. The experience of disharmony enables us to appreciate love and harmony in a way that um, couldn't have been in Eden. Um, And so we can, and then another 
yeah, so basically it has two fundamental sides. So the, the human needs and sufferings that exist in this world make possible all the works of charity of the world. Right. And this is going to be a key part of the last judgment. I think when we think of the last judgment, we think of, you know, generally what comes to people's mind is terror, right? right. Where am I going to be? Uh -huh. and, and God's, you know, but what, the last judgment is something to look forward to because a key part of the last judgment is God m manifesting all the hidden good right. that's been done the throughout virtues, your yeah, the charity, that's the right. love, that's the sacrifices. That's right, that don't make the headlines. Absolutely. Right? And that precisely couldn't have been in Eden, but come to be in this real world. And that's going to be a beautiful part of eternity, seeing all that and seeing, of course, how God's grace makes that possible, right? So God's grace... Um, pulling in our heart so that we be charitable. So all the works of mercy of the church. And Jesus puts that as the criterion of judgment in Matthew chapter 25, right? When I was hungry, you fed me. Mm -hmm. right? When I was naked, naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And that, yeah, none of that could have existed in Eden. It exists in this real world. We wish it didn't exist, but it's going to be the glory of heaven. Um. And then another thing is the, the redemptive aspect when we experience it ourselves. So experiencing grave suffering is obviously the hardest thing, right? In, right, right. It's what, and that's, it's, it's what brings people down because they hoped to be happy. They hope to mm -hmm. be comfortable, if you want. They hope to have a pleasant life and terrible things happen to some people, right. you know, and sometimes you wonder how are they able to suffer so much? Right, right. You just, it's so often... Um, speaking to someone about their life. It blows your mind in yeah. sense, or your heart. It makes That's you right. ache for them. That's right. Mm -hmm. And um, what's happening there in those sufferings that God... So I, I, last week we spoke about our conversion experience. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the most providential thing that happened was my wife having a very severe depression and anxiety mm -hmm. during a pregnancy. Because without that experience, I wouldn't have, um, at least humanly, come to faith um, by seeing that um, that need and um, pointed to one who could fill it, right? Right, and, your inability to right. help her right. yourself. Right, and conversion stories, just about everyone, every conversion story almost always has a key encounter with the cross, right? It's that encounter with the cross in our own lives, our cross, right? Not the one that we would have picked, but precisely the one that God picked for us. That is generally the way that we come to know Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Everyone in a different way, right? Because everyone has a different cross that's made for them. Right. Um, and so this um, brings us then to the what we call redemp the redemptive power of suffering, that suffering makes it possible, so I mentioned earlier, to grow in our ability to love and then to offer it, right? So God has so, in theology, we use this strange word economy um, to speak about, it's right? It's like a, a plan, a, yeah, the plan of right, God. a dispensation. And it's a dispensation in which um, it turns things upside down. So what the world thinks is the worst thing in the supernatural economy or dispensation becomes a means for good that God uses, right, to convert us, to um, to attract us to him, to lead us out of ourselves and to a life of greater self-giving. And very often in suffering, the human tendency is to close in on ourselves. 
And I remember being struck by this as an atheist when I was studying art history. So I, I studied art history as an atheist, and we got introduced to Christian art. And I fell in love with, even as an atheist, with the scene of the crucifixion, because Christ on the cross is there spread out, right, with his arms extended his, um, to, all, so, to all four dimensions, as it were, all four directions, right? So, and, um, and even as an atheist, I thought, oh, wow, what a profound, obviously, it's much more than a symbol, but I thought, what a profound symbol that in suffering, actually, there's, um, there's an openness, and our tendency to close in on ourselves is precisely defeats its power. And of course, that's, um, from the Christian perspective, Christ's suffering, so John Paul II says it like this, Christ's cross is infinitely open. It's infinitely open to embrace and take into itself all of our little crosses. And we can't say we've got something bigger than his. Absolutely not. Right? Ours fits into his right. as a piece. Right? And he's open to receiving all of it. And so John Paul II says this really profound thing. So this is from a document on the redemptive power of suffering called Salvifici Dolores. I will, I will put a link okay. in the show notes. Salvifici Dolores, that's a Latin title, right? Right, a Latin title on the salvific power of suffering. Mm -hmm. And um, in it, he says the church bends her knee, obviously before the cross of Christ, right? This, the season of Lent, and that's a key theme. But the church bends her knee before the cross of Christ, but also before all human suffering, which is welcomed into that of Christ. Obviously, not that we want suffering, and we certainly don't want it to increase it. We want to take it away through the works of mercy. But that um, suffering, when it's offered for others, um, is an instrument of redemption because Christ chose it to redeem the world, right? So God becoming man, he assumed human realities, right? He assumed being an embryo. He assumed being an infant, right? Being born, family life, play, eating, drinking, sleeping, you know, all the human realities, friendship, worship, prayer. But of all of the human realities, which did he choose to be the special instrument of redeeming the world? Suffering and death, right? What we most want to flee from. And he did this precisely to give them a redemptive power so that when we too experience, which all of us do, right? Each one in our own way, we have to through the eyes of faith, see in it a redemptive power that's stronger than anything else. But to unleash that power, we have to believe hope and love, right? We have to offer it in faith, hope, and love. And so that's why he says, you know, we bend the knee before all human suffering. Yes, the suffering of Catholics, right? Martyrs, persecuted Christians, but all genuine human suffering has this power to be offered. Obviously, that's we have are so aided by faith, right? That right. that gives us Christ as the the model, right? And that's the tragedy of the atheist who suffers just the same, but doesn't see its meaning, right? So this is such an important part of the Christian faith, unlocking right the meaning of our existence, and it, that affects everyone, right? Um, but the faith enables us to see. Um, a purpose in it, right? And a purpose Absolutely. leading us to love and offering it. And how should we offer it? Above all, with Christ in the Mass, right? So in the Eucharist, Christ becomes present on the altar in his body and blood, right? Making present his sacrifice of Calvary 2,000 years ago, but making it present here so that it can be offered today. But Jesus doesn't want to be offered alone, right? He wants to be offered with our little crosses. 
right? And so this is, I think this is a treasure that Catholics so underappreciate. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're to bring, so our little crosses, all right, I didn't choose them. I didn't want them. I would rather not have had these crosses, but they're the treasure that I have to offer today with Jesus. Right. Not, not only my crosses, right? Also my joys, my relaxations, my friendships, but all of it. Jesus wants all of it to be offered as he's offered to his father every day in, in the mass. Right? And so it's a beautiful way of um, bringing my life to the father with Jesus um, in Perfect. the sacrifice of the mass. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, what I would, I, I simply mm-hmm. would add some, a couple of things. Yeah, please. Uh, to simplify a little bit or to wrap up um, these great concepts. First of all, that uh, in spite of all the doubts that we can have because of evil in the world, God still exists. So evil in the world can make me question or doubt, but it's not a reason to prove that God does not exist, right? Uh, on the contrary, that there's evil proves that there's good also. And the good is what God is clearly the source of. So uh, evil poses a difficulty, but still God exists, right? Um, a second thing to say is that, as you said, uh, God will draw greater goods out of this evil that I suffer. And in a sense, it is good to see or to think how um, God wants us to think or to be a little bit more detached from this world, right? So when we suffer, we realize this world cannot be it, and there should be a, a, a greater world above and beyond. And uh, that thought is a good that we can take from evil, that this world is very limited, you know? Um, and then finally, that, uh, as you said, God shares our, evil, our sufferings and our weaknesses by becoming man with us. And uh, so when we suffer, we can say, God suffered the same thing. He embrace the same suffering. He died for me and he uh, died for my sins. So uh, that we should, as you said very well, we should offer our sufferings together with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And uh, that we do through the Holy Mass. So, um, of course, sometimes when people come to us with their sufferings, we can't explain all this. We just have to uh, accompany. We can only uh, share our, our understanding pray for them, encourage them to stay close to Jesus and to go to Jesus in the Eucharist, right? To, to talk to Jesus in the Eucharist, um, who is there for them, and he will strengthen them interiorly. We, when there's suffering, we must go closer to Jesus, not further away, right? So that, uh, I think, is very important. Um, very good. Any final, final thought about all this? I think you've said it well, Father, that um, so Jesus, in his on the cross, he's inviting our sharing with that. And that is, um, yes, he's done it first, but he wants me to put mine in his hands. Um, Thank you. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Feingold, for joining us today. And thank you, everyone who is listening to, uh, for joining us in this episode, for giving of your time to listen to such an important uh, topic as this of suffering and the existence of God. Um, I we let us all pray for Dr. Feingold, for his ministry in teaching uh, priests, future priests, and many lay people to come into the church. And also let's pray for his family and all, that God may bless them abundantly. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, don't hesitate to send me an email at info at collegecatholics.org. And if you can, leave a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that others 
may be encouraged to listen to this uh, good information and good topics as well. May God bless you and we will see you next time.